2: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. I'm a little bit self-conscious recording this intro. So a little background. My wife is a high school English teacher and uh, she's home for the summers. I I try to usually wait until I'm actually alone in the house to record these. I don't know why I'm so self-conscious. Just a little bit of insight into uh, how this thing is recorded and the weird stuff that goes through my head in order to bring it to you. Needless to say, if I'm a little quieter, I apologize. Or my enthusiasm is a little bit lower, it's because I'm measured. I don't want to be yelling because then my wife would be like, hey, are you okay down there? And I'm like, yeah, it's just me recording my intro. I'm sorry. Insecurities aside, the guest this week <laughs> is Mr. Brandon Schipetti He is a vocalist for now defunct band... Bleeding Through. He's basically been a large, looming figure within the Orange County music hardcore scene, as it were, especially between the bands that he played in with Bleeding Through and Throwdown and 18 Visions, like, or has some connection to. It's pretty crazy. And then now he owns a very successful gym. More on him in a minute. That's my nice little tease. But uh, let's get some uh, some business out of the way. For those of you who have been donating to the show, I appreciate it so much. It's cool when it seems to be that internationally, People are donating. So I, I, maybe it's just this, this concept of, uh, oh, yeah, I'm used to giving money to cool stuff. Maybe that's more pervasive over there. I don't know. But regardless, Kimo from Finland, thank you so much for your donation. I really appreciate it. Shout out to, I don't know if it's him or her. Isn't that sad that I, I don't know? I, I never asked. So, uh, But, yeah, I really appreciate the donation. Appreciate the comments as well. And if you want to leave a comment from the iTunes store, go there. Type in 100 words podcast, type in some words, type in some sentences, hopefully, that are cohesive. And then, uh, yeah, leave some stars because it legitimizes the show. I really appreciate it if you do that. And one and only Carol, thank you very much to you, whoever you may be, said something cool. Said it. This show can provide insight and advice for those wanting to work in the industry someday. Love it. That's great. I have been thinking of doing a sort of bonus episode in regards to, uh, you know, maybe just kind of sitting down with uh, one of my friends who also is working in the music industry. Uh, Kind of what I I do already, except more specifically focus on the business side of things. Because, I mean, even though there's a lot of podcasts are kind of popping up that are speaking more specifically about, you know, what it's like to tour, be in a band, all that other stuff. Um, I think that, uh, there's some, there's some conversations that are, are, are not being had out there. So I'm just, I'm toying around with it. So if you think I should do it, email me 100 words, podcast at com because I, I don't want to do it. If you're not going to listen to it, that's ultimately, you know, I get that feedback. I get that rush from, from speaking to you, the listener. So thank you very much for that nice comment. Visit property of Zach, our awesome media partners, property and visit the show's website. I've been updating the website Uh, as far as features, and you can sign up to a mailing list, and there's a bunch of fun stuff on there now. So if you haven't visited in a long time, visit there, 100wordspodcast.com. And like I said, email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Before I spoke about Brandon, I wanted to speak about something specifically relating to a medium of music that I absolutely worship, which is vinyl. So recently some stats came out in regards to, I, I think it's this year's sales, so this year being 2014, um, saying that you know uh, vinyl sales have been on the rise for the past like five to six years. It's you know it's the only growth industry besides digital in in the music world, and even digital has kind of plateaued. And so I, I'm kind of it's this weird sort of bittersweet thing where I hear the sales numbers continue to rise, and more people are showing interest in this format, and it's awesome because obviously it shows a certain level of dedication and interest to something that's a little bit larger than just a pixel on a screen and um, that tangibility that obviously vinyl provides. But the the sort of devil's advocate game that I play with myself is the fact that it, it scares me. It straight up scares me because the more people that are, and when I say people, the more business stuff that starts to influence why people create vinyl. Like I look at You know, a great record that I purchased recently from a band called Mastodon. They're on a major label. They're on reprise records. And, you know, for a double LP, I paid close to $40 for that. And realistically, I mean, I know the price personally of how much this cost to manufacture. So it's one of those things that I look at that and I'm like, man, that's... Indie labels charge maybe 25 bucks at the most. And granted, this is a store, so of course, prices are a little inflated because it's passing through so many hands. But yeah, basically, I just, I worried that this format will be priced out of relevance now in the same fashion as CDs was. Because I mean, you remember, for those of you that existed when CDs first started to hit the markets, you know, they were like 17 to 20 bucks. And then it started to kind of wane where the price just got too expensive and people were kind of fed up paying those prices. And I think that is something that can happen to vinyl eventually and then really, really kill and hurt the format. That's my concern. I, tell, tell me if you think I'm crazy. I just, I, I'm, I'm trepidatious. I'm fearful for the constant increase in, in sales and vinyl. And then plus we're also going to get really, really stupid releases Like stuff that's like, I look at Record Store Day and I look at like the titles that get released in regards to, oh, here's a, you know, disturbed 12-inch. How many people are actually buying a disturbed 12-inch? How many people are buying these, these bands that I look at and I'm like... Dude, in a year, you're gonna look in like the used bins across America, and you're gonna find so many copies of that that people aren't gonna know what to do with. And so, I just always wonder where it's like, why you totally see dudes in a room being like, "Oh, record Day, that's a thing, right?" What what bands do we have? Oh yeah, let's go ahead and do a, a Disturbed twelve inch. I'm not picking on them specifically, but that's just the first thing that comes to my mind. So yeah, I just those are my worries. So yeah, hopefully vinyl will will stay in that nice sweet medium of. Being awesome to collect, but not too pricey that major labels feel like they need to put all of their resources in. Because I mean, I'm not faulting them; they're making money, and they they that's that is their right to do so. But um, yeah, anyways, Brandon Chappety. Rant is over. Here we go. Now we're moving into the the, the part that you tuned in to listen to. <laughs> so Brandon Chappety, I have known him for years and years and years. He was kind of my one of my first entry points to people uh, to the scene, so to speak, you know, I was going to shows at the time and I started playing in bands and was meeting people, but it was one of those things I'd always looked up to Brandon and his bands and was like, they're doing such cool things. And, you know, he's a year or two older than me. And I felt like he was close, but not to the point of where we actually met each other. So I'll tell the story in an actual interview of how we met, but, um, yeah, he was able to do Many, many amazing things with uh, his bands and obviously everything that he's done that is well documented within that, that context. But many people don't know that he does an awesome gym here in Orange County, and fitness has been part of his life for a long time. So we talk about that towards the end, and he owns his own gym, and he's been building that from scratch for the past four or five years. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Brandon, and I will talk to you.
3: Entry
1: point yeah,
3: to you. Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you back. I'm going right. to see if you remember this. Okay. I
2: have a feeling you may. You may. Okay. So here's you, probably 1996, 97 maybe, okay. maybe a little before that. You were working at Smoothie King. Yes. So I was working at that Blockbuster video. Yes. And I remember, I, th- I can't remember if either you came into Blockbuster or I came into Smoothie King, but basically you were like, we, we, we made a recognition where you were just like, are you do you drive that Volvo that has all those hardcore stickers? Yeah. And then I was like, at, at that time I was like, I had just seen you playing yeah. some show and I was just like, Oh my God. Like I totally went in that, like how glamorous you were just doing the game. But it's funny because <laughs> yeah. my brain didn't even work. I was just like, Holy shit. Like that's bread, Oh my God. Like you go into that because you just don't, you're not used to seeing people outside the context in which you see them. For sure. So I immediately went into that. Oh my gosh. But then you're obviously a normal human. and yeah. Cool. And so yeah. I was like, Oh, and then I remember. You, I remember we hung out, and you. I discovered At the Gates via you. Oh yeah, for
1: sure. Where that you were like, playing That was like my in my car, in my everything all day long.
2: You played, yeah. You played yeah, Slaughter of the Soul. Slaughter of the
1: Soul is the fucking shit, man. It's so good.
2: I just remember being like, "Wow!" Like I at that time, I'd never heard yeah. that because I was just getting into stuff like that. But it was just like it was one of those things where it was like I was really grateful that you were nice because it's one of those things where it's like. You're always scared when, I mean, especially like you never know what your actions will do to other people. For sure. Especially when you're first like getting into some sort of music scene or some sort of subculture. Yeah. Where it's like if you're either standoffish or weird or what I mean, not even weird, but just like you have some level of negative interaction. That person may not like dive into that deeper.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, I get it.
2: I mean, I'm I'm sure there are people that like you you either looked up to that you started to interact with like you know who who was that to you or you were just kind of well like-
1: honestly i was so afraid to leave to meet like henry rollins and glenn danzig you know what i mean like to yeah but i look up to i mean it's definitely a, a larger scale but yeah like i remember mm-hmm. like when i first met saw henry rollins at a place called Paquito Moss like it's a mexican restaurant in, in like hollywood area right and he walks in and i'm like holy fucking shit that's henry rollins right and i'm like there's no way I'm not going to like not say anything. So I totally chicken out, right? And I'm right. just like sitting there and I'm like, I'm not going to fucking say anything. I feel like a fucking turd. And, I'm well, like,
2: and you're also rolling those conversations in your mind. like Totally. Like here's, what, this how is how the do best even, entry point. Right? How
1: do I even open up the conversation of like, hey, Henry Rollins, man, you're like my fucking idol. Like, right. You know what I mean? So we're sitting, I'm sitting there with like a friend for like 20 minutes and he's sitting there eating by himself. And. And he gets up and he's like, has his tray and he's getting up to throw his tray away. And I'm like, right. I'm like, oh yeah, I lost. I fucking, I, I fucked up. I didn't say anything. <laughs> but he comes right over me and he looks at like my misfits tattoo and he goes, So I like your tattoo, man. And I'm like, hey, fuck yeah, man, misfits, right? And then he's like, hey, I got, you know, I got a few. I'm all cool. And he's like, show me his misfits tattoos. And I'm like, this is kind of weird because. I've always heard that he was very, like, never talked about his tattoos. Sure. Very, like, you know, very guarded with, like, his whole, like, just anything. Right. Like, not very one of these people that's going to come up to you and talk to you about anything.
2: He'll share, he'll share his experiences, but, like, you definitely don't. Mm. You, you feel like he just reveals parts of himself. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. he came
1: up, and he's like, nice tattoo. Here's my tattoo. And I'm like, cool, man. I'm like, I'm ready. Yeah. He's like, hey, I'm Hank. I'm all cool. Like, he referred to himself as Hank, which is <laughs> <really> <laughs> You're
3: weird. like, what?
1: And I'm like, wait, this is the wrong person. Like, but, uh, and he was super cool, we talked, for, honestly, for like five minutes. Yeah, but He's still. He's like, right? yeah, I'm just like, well, you know, I know, I like I said to him, like, you know, I know who you are, like, I've, you know, followed, like, your work, like, your your career for as long as I've been into, like, any sort of alternative, like, lifestyle as far as, like, music and, right. you know, art, literature, and stuff like that. So I'm like, yeah, I just really respect what you've done. So. I, got, I went away from that experience to be like, thank God that dude was like a real dude because if he was a douchebag, it would have just sucked, right? Totally. So the weirdest thing is ever is when the second time I had an interaction with him was backstage at Warped Tour. Okay. Really strange. Yeah. He did a couple Warped Tour shows as, with Rollins bands. That's band, right. I remember And that. it was like, you know, not really his thing. Mm-hmm. And from what I understood from the bands on Warped Tour that year was he wasn't around until like basically... He got a fucking cab to the venue, went on stage, and they, like bailed. Yeah. So the day that I was at Warped Tour visiting, I can't even remember which band I was visiting, hanging out with, he was he was fucking backstage. Right. And so I'm like, you know, I'm not even going to be that dude. Like, hey man, remember me? I, you Because know, even when it happens to me, it's like even if I have like a straight hour-long conversation with somebody, Yeah. I'm not going to always remember like what right remember that person it's and hard. then i'll feel yeah. like a fucking complete douchebag right so i'm walking by him and i'm like i'm not gonna go say that and so i'm just gonna see if i can make eye contact and give him like a sup yeah. sup up, right. you know and he looks at me he's all misfits tattoo and i'm all yeah and he's like i met you at paquito moss your name's close so close i'm like i even said i'm like that's so close my name's brandon he's like oh like, fuck, I thought I nailed it. Yeah, yeah. And it was so rad because I'm like, at least he fucking remembered, which was yeah. just super weird. And it was like, it was strange because when I met him, I had a Mohawk. And then this next time I had no Mohawk. and right. You know, it yeah, was, a, lot was just, a little bit different. Right, right. It was really cool. So it was kind of like similar type thing. The other thing was the Danzig thing. Yeah. I interviewed Danzig for Revolver Magazine like years ago. And I was so nervous that he was going to be an asshole because all I heard was, Danzig's an asshole, right? Right, right. But I was like, you know what? People have said that about me and I don't really feel like I'm an asshole. Just maybe people met me in a different...
2: Totally. They hit you the wrong day. Wrong whatever. day, right. wrong
1: whatever. So I interviewed Glenn Danzig and he was fucking awesome. That's great. And another thing, like when I went to go see Danzig play with like, I think it was like Pennywise and it was like the Affliction. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. So yeah. he headlined at, at Long Beach Arena and I'm sitting, or and I'm sitting there backstage and... He rolls up in this van and you know security like parts the red sea so you can walk in. Sure. And he fucking comes out of this van and the van's great because it's like a total rapist van. <laughs> His van comes up and he and he walks out and he like looks right at me and I'm like, uh, okay, like when the is looking at me, he right. and he's like, Brandon, what's up? I'm gonna go get ready to play. And I'm like, that was it. And I'm like, that's fucking weird. And all my friends are standing around me and I feel so fucking cool. I'm like. Glenn Danzig doesn't give a shit about anybody here, but he fucking beelined it straight for me, say what's up, right. getting ready for the show. And I'm like, that's sick.
2: You're like, that feels great. That's cool. Yeah.
1: Those So those two instances <clears throat> where I was backstage places and Henry Rollins and, and Glenn Danzig saw me and spotted me, and that was probably the two highlights of my life. Yeah. You're, so, <laughs> you're like, everything else is, everything is else second. Everything else is fine. <laughs> 15 year band career and all that kind of shit like it's irrelevant irrelevant the fact that like those two dudes I like, kind of remember me was pretty cool. Yeah yeah no not, but
2: it's yeah it's definitely that that sort of like when you just realize that those other people that are creating stuff are like human. That's yeah, when it's for sure. like and
1: that's all it was. Exactly. Because you know that whole element of them being like a normal guy. You right. know what I mean?
2: Cuz it's yeah it's so hard to think of of people that you respect uh, from that perspective as, yeah, the, the, they're going to the grocery
1: store. Well, and that's the funny thing too. It's like once you see them in that light, you could see them as, hey, this person on Sunday is probably barbecues and watches football. Precisely. You know what I mean? And totally. You're thinking about it and you're like, they're doing real, weird. Right. <laughs> real shit, you know?
2: Yeah, totally. Because you just, you, oh, that, that's so glamorous. They're probably yeah. someone. No, they're just, they're yeah. existing in the same planet we are. Exactly. Yeah. Um, You've, uh, you've always struck me to the, uh, this is another overviewing or overarching theme that I've seen throughout your life, just because, I mean, I've, I've known you for yeah,
3: 15 plus years. Gone.
2: You are, uh, you're an extremely intense individual. Kind of how you were saying earlier, how people obviously may peg you, is like, oh, brain's kind of an asshole. it's like, kind of
1: high-strung or, you know, right. of, or uptight and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> right. totally. Right. Can get it.
2: And then, and then, obviously, on that, you've always been very open about, like, your depression and the stuff for that sure. you've suffered. Uh, or, you know, that you could probably still battle with in some oh, yeah. capacities. yeah. for sure. Um, do you think both of those things that people... People probably project that you either shouldn't or can't be depressed because of, like, what you've experienced in your totally.
1: life? Totally. Like, oh, nothing should be wrong with you. You look like you have, like, your life together. And, sure. You know. Yeah, it's a, the it's a sort of thing where, like, you know, everybody that... You know, whether people like to admit it or not, people, when they get up on that stage and they play shows they have a little bit of a God complex. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whether you're playing a, a show in a fucking bookstore or a record store in front of 20 people or yeah. you're playing, like, a festival in Europe in front of 60,000 people, there's a certain element of, like, fuck, you know, I'm on this stage and, you know... I'm in power. Totally. And, yeah, yeah, And, of course, you try to portray that to people as well. Uh-huh. So I think people try to, like, kind of put you, like, in that spot where, you you know, they see you as something that's, like you know, larger than than life to them, or maybe like an empowered position of being like on this podium, basically. Having a microphone, having like a podium, you know? So, Mm -hmm. you know, why would that person be depressed? Like they're on that stage, like fucking having the time of their life, which is, I am having the time of my life, but you look at a lot of artists, you know, whether it be like literature and, or, Mm -hmm. you know, painting and or anything like that, or like music or any sort of like- Any creative art. Any creative art, okay? a lot of times the muse of those creative people is due to depression. Sure. You're not fitting in, you right. know what I mean? Feeling like alienated from like the normal society and this and that. So for me, my muse was complete heartbreak. and mm-hmm. I've never been like handed with of like, you know, straying away from that. Um, it's always been about that for me. Like music, music to me, I think, was a way for me to deal with my issues and I never even knew that I really had any like issues until I really acknowledged it through like my life, you know what I mean? Of and, course. and it's every day I I start to realize other things. And it's like, God man, I'm really fucked, you know what sure. I mean? Sure. But, you know, music was my escape. And so for me it's like I was trying to use my music as like an escape for my life as well. And, mm-hmm. and and I always wanted bleeding through to be a band to where someone would be like, you know, I was going through a rough time and bleeding through helped me because there's so many bands that i through my life that were like that band to me you
2: Mm -hmm. know i just find it because i I found it always so interesting that people like i said um especially look where it's like okay you know yeah you're 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 from orange county and this can be applied to almost anybody that played in our scene but it's like yeah you're white dude from orange county you you know you 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 come from you know uh, i mean not uh wealth you particular but it's like you know like yeah middle class i'm middle
1: class i'm a middle class you know, white kid from Orange. Yeah. yeah, and I just
2: so I always remember not like not about you specifically, but just conversations going around, especially like you know in the late '90s, or early 2000s. Yeah. Where it's Like, what do these dudes even have to be like depressed about or like angry about? It's yeah. Like, yeah. And you know what's <laughs> funny is you
1: look back on it and you're like, what did we have depressed about? You know, everybody has everybody has issues that they deal with. I mean sure. For me, I've discovered in the last like couple of years, you know, I've always dealt with like anxiety and depression, uh-huh. um, mainly like anxiety, social anxiety, which is kind of weird getting up on stage. Right. But you know, there's times like, dude, I didn't want to get out of my van. I didn't want to get on that stage. There's, you know, a few years of like, especially like at our, I think at Bleeding Through Pinnacle where mm-hmm. we were, well, not necessarily the pinnacle of the band, more like the pinnacle of our music genre where, sure. you know, you fart on a record and you're going to sell fucking 20,000 copies <laughs> and make like a good couple year run. Right. So I was miserable. I was miserable during that time. You probably yeah. just felt like you were part of part I was of the machine. I was over think. it, I was yeah, completely yeah. over. it. Before that, everything was new. You'd show up, and there was the the element of like surprise. Like shit, there's only twenty people. Cool, there's twenty people are going to see a fucking epic show. Yeah. yeah. Fuck, where did all these people come from? You know what right, I mean? Right. It was every day was something new, and then it became so routine. Mm-hmm. Like, and then it became like such a numbers game. You know, like people were like, oh, you know, how many people were there? What are you doing merch? What what this? And it became important numbers became important to other people other than the band. Right. You know?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I had a really hard time dealing with that because I felt like people were trying to take a part of our emotion away from us, of the music, and turn it more into like a business. Of course. You know what I mean?
2: Well, yeah, and you never see, you... you,
1: I never sought out to be a business. Right, you never... It just happened. Right. You know? By default, the singer of a band should be... Exactly. So, you know, what I've realized, what what I've come to understand in the last couple of years is that I've actually been dealing with... Being bipolar for probably since I was like you know yeah like mid teens sure, but I never acknowledged that because of my old diagnosis, which is social anxiety. Okay, and then eventually my therapist, um, I went through a I went through a, a divorce and right. and I I basically made a choice to. Um, really try to figure out what was going on. And there's been a lot of trial and error and a lot of fucking up going on. So, sure. but through the last couple of years, you know, it's been a lot of ups and downs, but I've really tried to make a conscious effort to sack up and figure out what the fuck's wrong with me. So I got really diagnosed and, um, cause there's certain ways that I was like acting where I just didn't understand. Sure. Um, and then I got diagnosed bipolar. So, um.
2: That must have felt like that must have felt kind of liberating in a way. It was
1: it was a very weird weird feeling because uh-huh. I didn't know that I was that and so sometimes when people say you're this right you're like fuck man really right but yeah. at the same time I'm like well that makes sense because there's so many times in my life that, like the last like decade where I didn't feel like I had like power over myself. Sure you're in like, control oh, right. Fuck yeah. so some you know it's you know the old school you know terminology for bipolar is manic depressive so sure. you're either manic which you're like fucking woo this yeah. is the best fucking day ever or you're just like wanting to fucking rip apart everything around you so right, right. i always just really found myself in the rip apart around everything around you sure. mode and i think a lot of people met me during that mode you know what i mean yeah, so yeah. um yeah so i realized that and you know i've been dealing with that as well so the show
3: is sponsored by BetterHelp.
2: I I think obviously a lot of that comes with age. From For maturity sure. to where you can be like, you can actually look at yourself yeah. with with cl- a clearer vision than what you... I mean, none of us can look at ourselves when we were you know, 15, 16, 17 years old yeah. and like have any sort of clarity on what we were feeling. For sure, yeah. It's so just, a, just a bunch of shit going Lots on. A bunch of
1: shit going on, <laughs> exactly. So that's the thing. It's like, you know, human and... Yeah. You know, so... But I, I mean, dude... Some of the most successful people in the world battle with like mental issues and of course. You know, stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
2: you're, you're not alone from that perspective, but it's, it's, it's great that you are able to look at something and feel, feel like you have some sort of plan.
1: Exactly. That's, exactly. That's where you feel like you got to acknowledge it. You can't be in like denial of like what's no. going on because that's just going to make it worse. You're basically right. like an addict at that case. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, that's like, you know, it's like you're an alcoholic and you're still denying that you drink. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking yeah, a of Jack every day, <laughs> right? Exactly. Oh, I didn't just do that, or I drink like a little, no, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, you're trying to
2: compensate, yeah. Uh, but yourself, you yourself, were, you were born and raised in Orange County, yeah. Is that where you, yeah. where in particular?
1: Uh, I was born at Hoag Hospital in Newport. Oh, nice, so Costa Mesa, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Because yeah. you were you were primarily raised by your father. Did you split time with um, your father? I and split time
1: between my, my dad and my mom. Like, my, my parents were together until I was about 11, 12, okay. and then they split. And then midway through my teens, my mom moved back to Chicago because that's where we fam- like. A lot of our family's from the Midwest, Midwest and okay. so she went back there to be closer to her family. Got it. Um, I stayed with my dad, and then, you know, it's kind of... I was all over the place. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, because yeah, you lived in a lot of... I mean, you moved around a lot in Orange yeah. County? Okay. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> um, and and you're only child, right?
1: No, I have an older brother. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right.
2: Yeah, 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 And so, as you started to, uh, you know, kind of dive into, you know, high school and your formative years and stuff yeah. like that, how did you get intro to independent music in general? Like, because, I mean, your Because your brother was... How many years older? He's eight years older than me. So yeah, so
1: he would... To be honest, like, I mean, he did give me that intro to music. I okay. remember, like, early, the early years, he would, he would always buy me tapes. So he would buy me, like, Metallica and, like, okay. you know, Ozzy Osbourne. I'm trying to think of other tapes. But then he started, like, buying me, like, punk tapes. Like, okay. the first Suicidal Tendencies record and, like, Bad Brains.
2: So this would be, like, for Christmas, or your birthday or something? Totally. Okay. And, like,
1: you know... Whereas, like, a lot of people in my family were getting me, like, Bobby Brown tapes. Right. My brother's like, hey, this band's called Black Flag. Right. Check this Check out. Check this out. This band's called DRI. Check this out. And I just remember as an early age, I really was, like, enthralled and and, and pulled to, like, fast music. Right. Like, if it was, the faster it was, the more I was like, fuck yeah. I'll yeah, like yeah, listen yeah. to this. You're, You're
2: like, like, I get this.
1: Yeah, I get it. So, it just spoke to me at an early age. And I think that, uh, you know... I, so I listened to bands like Minor Threat and stuff like that, and you know what I used to do too. Like I mean, I'm sure like you're the same way. Like when I was younger, mm-hmm. I used to go to independent record stores, yeah. and to find out about something, you would see like a record or a tape or a CD, and it would say like "for fans of" or "sounds like." Sure, you know what I mean. And so yeah. be, like, if it sounds like one of the bands you already listened to, you bought it, right? You know. So I started just doing that and started really just like. And was the- I thought it was, like, really cool to listen to music that my friends didn't know what the fuck was. Oh, what it sure, was yeah, animated. yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: you know, and yeah, yeah, so, yeah.
1: like, and then I remember the first time I was introduced to, to um, like, straight edge bands was, I found a tape from my brother's, like, tape yeah. box. Right. It was a uniform choice record, and and uh Screaming for Change, and it was, like, the singer singing with, like, an X on his hand. I remember yeah. asking my brother, like, what's that mean? He's like, oh, it's straight edge. And I'm like, he's like, I mean, there's no drugs uh no alcohol and this and that and I'm like, okay, well and then you just call yourself straight edge. Right. So I was like if, if you know, it was just like new it was like idea to me and Right. Yeah. So it was kind of. Cool. And was
2: it was that was that all kind of in junior high leading into high school? That was it leading it? into high school. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, remember he, I
1: remember he gave me that uniform choice, screaming for change record, and that was the first like time I ever heard about like straight edge or anything like that. And I was in eighth grade. Sure. Yeah.
2: Um, and so then yeah, as you as you started to hit in high school, um, you know, because you were, at the time you were also completely immersed in baseball, right? Oh yeah. Like you. Yeah. I mean, because baseball. That was like my life. Right. Yeah. Because and, and, it didn't you you kind of. You basically chose music I, I over... I chose music over sports. Right. I mean, and that was like what? You're like junior or senior year of high school? That was my
1: junior year. Okay. Um, I didn't play my senior year. Um, that must have been a huge deal. That was a pretty big deal. I mean, for not only for
2: you to but, admit it to yourself, uh, but exactly. then... Exactly.
1: But, you know, I started... At that time, I started playing guitar for 18 Visions, and right. we started playing shows, and I remember just getting on stage for some of being like, yeah, baseball. The fuck's <laughs> baseball? Right? Like, right. Right. You know, it's funny, though. You're like, yeah, but the Showcase Theater. Yeah, like. exactly. Yeah. So I remember we played a show with Napalm Death at Showcase Theater. And I was like, this is sick. I mean, I want, I, you're the, like, here's my walking paper. Oh, the ne- and the next day I had like a baseball tournament. I remember just like being like, I'm not going to fucking go. Yeah. And that was
2: it. And you just didn't, and that, that was it. That was it. And you just, you like figuratively dropped your glove and just kind of walked away from yeah, it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Was your, because uh, I, I presume that your your father was pretty invested in your baseball she career. He was pretty was, bummed. Okay. Yeah. Did you guys have a lot of uh, fights over that or was he just like... He didn't
1: really support the idea that much. But, you know, later on in life, I think he saw that, like, um, that I was doing something with my life. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, he got really behind. He got behind the music just like I was playing baseball still. Okay. I mean, the dude has, like, boxes and boxes and boxes of magazines and everything. More stuff that I have as far as, like, of bleeding through stuff. So, it's pretty crazy. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, especially during the time that we obviously were going to shows really heavily and that the scene was exploding there was this weird you know delineation where it was like you can't really be into sports like you can maybe secretly be into sports yeah
1: I was definitely secretly but yeah
2: but I just found it so weird and like to, to, I mean, essentially, you're choosing between two passions. And I, I think a lot of people that experienced what we did yeah. didn't necessarily do that. They were yeah. just like, I'm not doing anything else besides yeah. playing music. Yeah, for sure. And so, like, to make that choice was
3: hard, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of funny
1: because, like, I still play in, like, I play now right. in, like, a weekend, like, wood bat hardball baseball league with okay. my friends and stuff. And I played in the league for, like, three, like, fuck, five years now. right. And I mean, like Riley. Riley from Thrice plays on yeah, my baseball yeah. team. Sure. Like, like my men's league team. It's it's pretty cool. It's a collection of a bunch of assholes. But it's, right, it's right, right, right.
2: No, yeah. You're still able to scratch that itch. For yeah, not totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's fun. And so, like as as you started to, I mean, because essentially that that the independent music scene started to you know really hit, especially I mean, because you went to did you go to Newport Harbor? Newport Harbor, okay. And that was like you know kind of ground zero in many capacities yeah. for that whole metalcore scene. Yeah. Um, was it, when did you kind of realize that this was, I guess, expanding, where it was like, oh, this is bigger than just, like, our high school, like, you know, that's what was always interesting to me to watch it, especially as an outsider, because, like, you know, I didn't go to Newport Harbor, yeah. like, I went to Orange Lutheran, and it's yeah. like, we were kind of, you know, we were always like, oh, like, we're kind of a part of the scene, but, like, we don't sound like any of the bands, and yeah. it's kind of always weird. Totally. But then, since you guys are at Ground Zero, it was always kind of... Really, um, you know, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of jealousy there where it was like, oh, these bands are, like, literally ten times
1: bigger than we are. You know, it was really weird. Like, I think when, it, when I started realizing it was, like, kind of bigger than just at, like, our high school. Was, we used to always have, like, high school shows. Right. Because there's a lot of bands that were, like, from... It's funny because I look back on it. It's, like, Newport Harbor. Okay. We had bands. There's, there was like, you know, I was in hardcore bands. Other friends were in hardcore bands. There was punk bands at our high school. There was fucking everything. Sure. And then eventually it spawned into, like you know parts of 18 visions right parts of throwdown right? Like, parts of adamantium yep. parts of like you you know all the, and eventually bleeding through and yep. but we used to have all these like local shows of all of our old bands and it was funny because it was like it's a band called Good Hugh that, play, that was from Newport Harbor. The singer of Good Hugh is Steve Aoki. And it's like, fucking Steve Aoki is <laughs> right? now like, yeah, yeah. you know. Mil- millionaire yeah. on his own right in his own, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like probably one of the biggest DJs, if not the biggest in the world right, right now. So, you know, and he's part of that. He was part of like the whole Newport Harbor, like hardcore scene and all that kind of stuff. And so we started having like these local house shows at friends' houses or garages. Right. And then all of a sudden it was like people from other schools were oh. coming to them like hardcore kids and punk rock kids and stuff okay, yeah, and then yeah. it was other schools and other schools and eventually we were like having these shows and there was like a hundred kids in a fucking house we're like this is fucking crazy. Right. right. You know and, and I think that's when we started realizing that like This could be a, like a legitimate venue. Where we're yeah like, maybe yeah. we should like do like real bands not like start a new band every week. Right. You know. Yeah yeah. So and I think that's why the inception of like Throw it Down and 18 Visions started happening at that point. Yeah. it was like. You know, I met like James and a lot of people from like Huntington Beach, mm-hmm. um, from 18 Visions, and we kind of Javier and I started playing in 18 Visions and playing shows and Throwdown happened, and it was just sort of like from there. And it was like I was saying, like with that type of music and that type of time, it was like such an organic local scene that grew in Orange totally. County. Yeah. And I don't think that scene exists anymore, like the local, organic, like... You have a hard... I think, yeah, I think it's I such a, a bigger scale now to where if lo, just local bands played somewhere, you're not going to get those, like, the support. You totally. Know what I mean? yeah, like yeah. what show are you, like, what big show are you playing with, you know? Right. You, so. you
2: definitely, you know, I, it's a really important point because I think, I mean, a lot of times you don't even necessarily know where a band is from from uh, exactly, like their members live everywhere yeah like it's like two dudes live here two dudes live there. I well mean, and i think that's
1: you know the internet's kind of the reason that totally but back then it's like none of us had internet right you know what i mean yeah, like, you weren't you
2: weren't able to be like pull people
1: in from no, vegas to play with no them. absolutely <laughs> so it was like hey like you probably don't know how to play this instrument but let's like learn you know what i mean right one of those things so um so and you you
2: were uh, obviously you're doing guitar in a lot of uh, the early bands that you're yeah. playing in um was the uh but you always felt, or you, to me, it always seemed like you felt more comfortable singing. Was that not the case? Did you like no, guitar I, better? No, I actually
1: hated singing at first. Okay. When I would get on stage, it was like this overwhelming like feeling of anxiety Okay. when I was singing, and eventually it would just come out. Yeah. And I think it attributed to like me becoming... Better on stage, I feel. Okay, because yeah. I kind of put myself into like a different state of mind. I was about to say,
2: you like it. Definitely seems like you could have put yourself into like some sort of like character. Yeah, like a different even, version of you yourself. Know what?
1: And I think I probably was doing like an alter ego. Sure. Because with guitar, it was like I was in my own bubble. Yeah. Like I just remember when I was playing guitar, I never really like remembered any of the shows. Right. I was, kind it was of just doing my own thing and rocking out by myself, so I wasn't really remembering anything. it was like one of those weird, weirdo ordeals. Right. I think with musically, like with with singing, the only reason I wanted to is because I wanted to like express myself a little bit better. Right. Or dif- not better, but express myself differently.
2: You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you would be able to, yeah, put pen to paper and obviously yeah. have that sort of lyrical representation. Um, like I was mentioning earlier, there there was a, the, like just because so much attention started to come to the particular the Orange County scene yeah. in general, like the early two thousands, um, it was a, oh. I found it interesting that there was I mean I think this happens with most creative outlets where there's like I was alluding to earlier, that sort of like jealousy slash competition, like this weirdness where it's like you're obviously all in it together and yeah. there's not that like backstabbingness. Yeah. But there were definitely elements of just like, huh, like we have to be protective over
1: this scene, like Dude, I, there is extreme jealousy. Okay. I mean, if you really look at it, it's like Orange County produced so many fucking bands. Totally. And they're all... You know, it's funny, though. You look back, they all came from relatively the same time. Totally. It's like... It's within like a ninety-seven to like t-
3: two
2: thousand well, time range. Was if you look like look at it this
1: way: it's like eighteen visions, yep. throwdown, yep. bleeding through, yep. even taken. Totally, it's like you had bands, band sevenfold, Event like sevenfold. You had a tree. You had thrice. You had totally. I mean, the list literally goes like <laughs> yeah. You know, at the tail end of Adamantium, Death by Stereo, yep. like totally. all these fucking bands. Same era. Right. You know what I mean? And so, of course, there was going to be like a little bit of like, well, why not us? Like, totally. why is this happening for this band? and Why not us? Like, right. we need that. Right. Was, and But the thing is, I don't think if there wasn't that element of mm-hmm. like sort of like a jealousy factor. Right. None of those bands would have been successful. Sure. I feel that it was like a lot of the success of that music time frame was driven by jealousy. Mm-hmm. It totally was. I mean, I'm I'm not ashamed to say that. Yeah, yeah, like no. I would see things happening, you know, for other bands, and I'd be like, "Fuck, man, I want, that. I want that." Right. What can we do to get that? You know sure. what I mean? Sure. Yeah. And it it's funny because that led all those bands down the path to like be successful, but I think at a time at a certain point it kind of led. You know, a lot of those bands to like split away and lose touch with, e- with each other, you know what I mean? But totally. Because, like, dude, we were so close with fucking Event 7 for a while. Right. And, you know, eventually it's like they went off and did their thing. We were so focused on our thing. And it led to all these bands being so focused that when we were around each other, it was sort of like, it's like we weren't even like friends anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, totally. And it's kind of a weird thing, but now it's like I see a lot of those people and it's everything. We're still close. Right. But I think in the heat of like the battle, of, yeah. like, what band is going to be from Orange County that's going to break? You know, like totally. we're all fucking dead sprint. You know what right. I mean? And eventually, you know, Event Sevenfold is it's not even a competition. So. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, if, if there's a winner that is crowned, they clearly yeah they're still doing it's far it. There. Far right, but yeah, no, it, it's it's funny because
2: I just don't think a lot of people. I mean, especially due to the age of everybody involved, but, like, a lot of people are either ashamed or afraid to admit that sort of, like, yeah. weird weird competition that exists, where it's yeah. like, you can be friendly, but then there's that sort of weird pull yeah. that you want something better for, for yourself. sure. Um, then as you, uh, you've always struck me as a person, too, in regards to the fact that you, once you had to start to think about your future outside of the band... Yeah. Um, was that terrifying for you?
1: Dude.
2: Like, when you... Because, I mean, you, you started to have to make that transition, like, what, the mid-2000s? In, in regard, like, whatever, 2006, 2007, when it was, like, it was clear that you were unhappy yourself. I'm stuck. trying to
1: think, I'm trying to think of, like, the, the moment when that happened. Uh-huh. It was sort of, like, this thing where, I think we were playing in, like, Germany. Okay. And we played a show in front of, like, 20,000 people or something like that. Right. I remember, like, going on stage and playing... in fucking just giving it our all and I remember like I never really focused on the crowd that much Yeah. but for that show I was focusing on the crowd and I remember just seeing like faces like look at us like like with the look on their face like why are you like playing like what are you doing I'm just waiting for fucking bring me the horizon like can you get the fuck off the stage right I mean, no, nothing against that band because I think that band's great, but it's like... Yeah,
2: you you can place any band in there. They're, they're I, not there to see I it.
1: straight up said to myself, I, you know, I got off that stage and I remember looking at our, our tour manager and I said to him, he was, he could tell something was up and he's like, what's up? And I'm like, you know what, dude? I think I'm done. I think I'm done with this. I'm going to go home. I'm going to get into the fitness world and I'm going to open a gym. Okay. And I said it like right, right to him. Just, I'm like, I'm yeah. done. This is it. I'm going to... I'm going to start transitioning. I go home and, uh, you know, I said that, but I didn't automatically go home. like, how am I going to do yeah, this? Here's I, my had no, I had no fucking idea how to do that. Right. But I started thinking on that tour because I was so kind of miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you listen to it and you're like, if anybody's listening to this, how can you be miserable playing it? It's, I loved doing it, right. but sometimes it just gets really hard. Yeah. when something that you created that you did not want that you didn't create to become this like business mm-hmm. when it becomes a business and you lose a little bit of like that heart in it yeah, where I feel like it just got like sucked out of me I just lo- I lost it so yeah, I go home and I'm like okay I don't really know where to start one of my friends is like hey I trained with this guy I'm like oh cool like where do you train at I want to learn You know, I want to train I want to learn right. I remember going to his gym and walking in and seeing like a bunch of like professional hockey players Chester from Lincoln Park was working out at his gym mm-hmm. and just like a couple other people and i walk in and i'm like there's like punk music on and i walk in and i'm like this is what i'm going to do right like this is this really feels what I'm home do. this right. is this is my home after this music career and i just remember i put that in the back of my brain Yeah. i just sucked up as much input information learned as much stuff as i possibly could right and you know, started training people, interning, doing what I had to do. Dogging it, too. Like, you know, Bleeding Through wasn't making a lot of money back then. We barely made enough to, like, pay our bills. Right. But I was up at, you know, when we were home from tour, I was up at 4.30 in the morning interning with the, with this trainer, uh-huh. just learning as much stuff as I possibly could. Right. And then it eventually kind of transitioned to this.
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, you just, you you did. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, the, the one thing that I always love to see is when, people are obviously able to take the, uh, all of the applications that they've learned in yeah. starting bands, putting on shows, whatever. And just like, because I mean, that, that's exactly well, start, what
1: Starting a band back in that, where it's like the wild, wild west of like metal, right. metal and hardcore. Yeah. You, you better have been paying attention to how to brand something. Right. Because we all had to brand
3: mm-hmm.
1: everything. Totally. And we had to really push on them. There's no like, you know, of course, like, we were in magazines and things were getting marketed but right. before that was even an option we had to do it ourselves of you course. know what I mean yeah, yeah. so I took that grassroots branding marketing yeah. kind of ideas and I said why can't I do this with a band why can't or a gym why can't I build a gym the same way I built a band totally you know have a, a, like have it be something so everybody can have something like pull something from it Mm -hmm. feel welcome within it you know what I mean right and that's why I always want to do it bleeding through is be like listen there's a place here for everybody right in our music whether you listen to this type of music or not there's some some element that if you really dive into the music you'll find an element that you can relate with and gym wise I think that's what I wanted to do as well Mm -hmm. I wanted to create a culture you know I hated going to 24 hour fitness and like LA fitness and stuff yeah yeah I'd rather create a culture where you go into a gym and you listen to cool music and nobody there is judging you. Everybody's there to work out. There's different walks of life. There's 65-year-old man with grandfather with white hair working out next to a fucking yeah. 23-year-old guy with face tattoos. Right. Yeah. And then a pregnant chick walking around. And then, you know what I mean? Totally. But everyone's there for the same reason. It's like a good vibe, you know? Right, right. I guess it's sort of the way that I remember hardcore mm-hmm. being when I first started going to shows. Right before it was such like a, it became like a set fashion. Oh, totally. Or it became subgenres. Totally. And it, it was like, hey, yeah. There's this kid. He's the like the punk rock kid that goes totally. to hardcore shows. Right. You know, like with you, I remember like I remember you listening a lot of, like punk like punk music. Yeah. Back in day. Like it was there's all like I knew of everybody by the type of like genre of subgenre subgenre of music that they're into as well right right you know what I mean like yeah that's just the way I knew it, everybody so sure um I kind of was like you know what I want this to be all-encompassing and right. so I started thinking about that around like 2008 started educating myself really heavily then and then when I was home while all the rest of I don't know what other people in my band were doing but yeah. I was here right or not here but I was yeah you were tr- you were trying to you were planting the seeds exactly
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting what you're talking about, the the, the culture and, like, you know, and experience, because it's, like, you know, you mentioned, obviously, it's, like, the corporate, um, you know, the corporate gyms, like, obviously, 24 hours, but, like, that, that's clearly, like, a whitewashing of the workout experience. For sure. And it's, like, there's, you, you go in there because it's a blank canvas, and it's, like, you can yeah. get whatever you want out of it. Totally. Rather than coming to a place like Rise About Fitness and being, like, like, oh, this is, like, this is, you feel, like, that not only what you put into it, you'll get out of it. Yeah. But that will also, that will work just as hard. Like Rise Above will work just as hard on you. For sure. If
1: you commit to us, we will commit to you. Right. And it's like a mutual understanding. Right. And I think that's like what I try to do in here as well is like one thing I try to do with like, you know, with the music is I always went out on that stage and I tried to like give it 110%. Yeah. And if I felt, I was my worst critic. If I felt like I did not give it 110%, I'd be miserable. Right. You know what I mean? I'd be like, I just yeah, fucking wasted a few times. Right, right. You know what I mean? And not and not necessarily thinking that... I never went on that stage and like, ugh, I'm going to cash it in. Yeah, yeah. But it was more like, if I didn't feel like I did good enough, I would feel really bad. Like, almost think like I wanted to go back on stage and apologize. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that's when I had all, like, my fucking freakouts on stage. Because I've had some, like, monumental right. freakouts. Right. Where I've had, like, straight-up anxiety attacks and, like, throwing the microphone, like... 40 fucking yards right out in the know, crowd right? <laughs> out in the crowd you know <laughs> you know I've had those like fucking I call them like Danny Filth moments or cradle of Cradle Little Filth because he always just keep monitors and yeah, yeah, like, yeah. stomp around like a little bit little, hit, little like, hissy fits so right, right. Yeah, and I've had those moments and I feel the same thing here like sometimes I feel like when I work with one of my clients if I'm not like on how I'm supposed to be I'm just like fuck man I feel like I should apologize like buying lunch or something yeah <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm making such a commitment to be here and support this. And, like, I just want to be, like, the best for that person. Right. I guess I just put so much fucking pressure on myself. What it, what that's sort of, like, segwaying to is that I feel the time that when we came up mm-hmm. in the underground music... Yeah. We all put pressure on ourselves, And we all can look at it and be like, look what... We laid the foundation. And I hate... I, yeah. I, I won't even like story from even like saying that. No. Because it's not arrogance. No, it's, it's not at all. It's... We... Our generation of hardcore kids or whatever yep. you wanted to call us back in the day. Right. We're the ones that took it from Coos Cafe... Right. To Glass House. Of course. Come on. Let's, we took it from Coos Cafe... Right. To House of Blues. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who would have fucking thunk it? No. You know, bleeding through... Went from playing in front of ten people at Kooz, a floor show, to selling out two nights at House of Blues Anaheim.
2: Totally. And what I found, what I to me, what I also found so special and something that was like you know going back to what we were talking about earlier like in regards to the jealousy because it was like you know bands that were kind of on like because like, we were all like Taken was always kind of you know on the outside because obviously we weren't heavy we didn't sound yeah. exactly like I mean not saying that you guys all sounded the same but we didn't have a lot of the elements that the other you know the other bands had for sure but you, you had
1: your own sound which was, to- it, and you guys were in the realm to me you guys were in the realm of like a thrice where thrice was just doing their own thing. Right. You
2: know. And it was it was to me that was that was special because it's like everybody could exist doing their own things all building up to something larger, For sure. you know. That you're pulling in a person that wouldn't go see bleeding through would come see, you know, taken and vice versa. Yeah. A person that would see bleeding through would be like that bit taken's awful, yeah. but at least you're inspiring that reaction. And For that's sure. what I always say where it was like, dude, regardless of whether you hated it or liked it, it was forcing you to make a decision. Yeah.
1: And yeah, it's like, sure. and that—that's that, why people. It's well, like I kind of feel like now people don't have like a mind of their own. Totally. Like I don't think they actually make decisions on whether they like a band by actually listening to it. I agree. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's more. It's more of it's more of like a it's more of like a fashion. Sure. You know, I hate, it'd be, well, it'd I hate be, to say that because I know that older hardcore guys <laughs> and punk rock guys and metal guys used to think that about our bands. Of course, well. of course. But, I mean, I do kind of feel like. Well, People think, are afraid to form an opinion about a band sure. based off of music that they actually play. Sure. You know?
2: I, I think for, I, I think for you know, to, to rebut anybody that could look at, because clearly, I mean, what you're doing in Bleeding Through, like, catered to an image, catered to a uh, specific aesthetic. Totally. But the, um, that would, like, it was all logical progressions. Like, it didn't feel, to me at least, on the, you know, I mean, not only on the outside, but uh, being a part of it as well seeing the, the progression of it where yeah. it was like each thing kinda of was a logical step. It wasn't like all of a sudden this had changed. I mean even, even 18 visions obviously yeah. as they progressed to you know being the, the stone temple heavy stone temple balance yeah, towards absolutely. the end. You saw the progression. Totally. As opposed to like, oh like it's switching from one record to another where it was like, oh what are you what are you doing here?
1: Like Yeah, this band this band used to be a total beat down band. Now they sound like data remember. Right, right. Yeah I mean They're it, gonna give it a shot. I totally
2: mean,
1: I mean there's a band and I don't, you know, I'm not gonna pull punches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, know okay. they did. Right. There's a band that uh, has been kind of pushed our way a couple times for tours, and in, in certain regards, I've heard two different records, and one came after the next. This band's called The Great Commission. Oh yeah. Okay. So the first record that got, and I'm not saying this band's a bad band. Like, right, they're, right. They're pretty cool. The first record I got was like Core-ish, breakdowns. Sure. That kind of stuff. Right. That was one tour they tried to get pushed on us. The next tour they tried to get pushed on us. The next record came out, and it straight up sounded like a heavier day to remember. Okay, you know what I mean? Right, right. So it was like, you're like, how much time happened between the records? And like, what happened? And totally. That's, but that always leads me back to people saying, well, you know, the truth had when, when did you when did you start singing? Like, did you fucking not listen to our other records? Right. There, it was like it was a percentage thing. You yeah. may have done like ten
2: percent here. here.
1: Like, it was like... This is Love is Murderers had singing. Right. A lot of it. (laughs) Just not good. Right. And I don't think it was memorable to people, so they don't really acknowledge it. Sure. It's a very good point. The Truth had memorable singing parts. Right. Declaration came out had about half of the singing parts. Just It just didn't feel like it. It wasn't in my... I didn't feel like delivering my emotion that way. Right. And then people started complaining that there wasn't enough singing on it. You (laughs) can never please anybody, but I find that a lot of bands... Have tried the shit. This didn't work. Let's try this. Yeah, the chameleon approach. This didn't work. Yeah. Let's try this. Sure.
2: Yeah. No. It's <laughs> the uh, something I also find interesting. Like the one or two more things I want to hit on before I left you was the um, the idea that you've always like through every uh, facet of the band's life, you've always been open about expressing the, the not only your own personal struggles, yeah. but like the struggles that the, a band goes through because people. Sure. People have a, have, I and mean, when I say people, like your average whatever thirteen to sixteen year old kid has a preconceived notion about what a band is supposed to be like. It's like, oh, it's just fun and good times. Like, yeah. you know, tour is awesome. Like, there's nothing bad about it. Oh, yeah. But you've always been so open about that. Um, and has has that ever have people been like, hey, could you should you, should you chill out on that? Like, can you should you be a little more quiet about that? Like, um, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure, but it's like there's there's a lot of like harsh realities with tour. I mean, touring was so fun but it was rough you know what I mean back in the days I mean I mean fuck like early 18 Visions days I mean we were like walking into like Denny's and like eating people's foods off their tables right you know what I mean right there's no there's no glamour in that it's like (laughs) scraping by to get fucking gas money to the next show right and there's a lot of arguments and a lot of like it was fun, and it's a great experience. It was, you know, one thing I could look back and be like, dude, out of all the years of tour, it was just such a great experience. I've yeah. learned a lot about myself. It's formative. Absolutely. Right? But, I mean, dude, it's like, I've always been candid about, or not, I've always been upfront about, like, the way that Bleeding Through is. It's like, dude, we We're friends. Yeah, you know what I mean? Totally. And I see everybody in Bleeding Through is like a family member, but it's not like we talk all the time anymore. Right. You know what I mean? Which totally. is kind of like a sad thing. Like we still, when we're still around each other, it's yeah. like, dude, it's like we never stop touring, but it's not like we hit each other up on a daily basis to of like course. chat. You yeah. Know yeah. I mean? How's it
2: going? Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. I
1: think that touring around with somebody that long kind of burns you out on that person for that long because you're literally on top of each other yeah. for your life. Totally. So yeah, it's just like a. Do
2: you, it was. Is, is there any component of of regret in the way that you um, either you know portrayed yourself? You put yourself out there. I mean, obviously, at the moment, I'm sure so, you were feeling expressing honesty. Well,
1: sometimes with with bleeding through. I mean, the only time I, the only thing I regret with the, like the way that I reacted on the road with bleeding through is sometimes uh-huh. I was a little bit too like total fucking like general. You know oh what I mean? sure, yeah, yeah. Like I,
2: you felt like you had to kind of keep the train on the track, so to speak.
1: You yes, were like, the, I was check. a little bit too intense, sure. Sometimes, and sure. I think it rubbed my band the wrong way. I was maybe a contributing factor of the band not having as much fun. I kept it really right. business, sure. I guess that's just my nature. I mean, we still had fun, but like I think I maybe kept things like tight. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's yeah.
1: just because I think it go boils, you know, goes into my bipolar is part of being bipolar is you need consistency. So if I didn't think things were consistent, I'd fucking lose my mind. Right. So like, and then I'd be even more of a nightmare to people. But as far as like letting people know, like what went on with bleeding through and stuff like that on the road and in interviews and stuff like that, I have no regrets about that at all. Yeah. It paints a clear picture. We were what we were. Right. You know what I mean? And like when we are what we are and we're, We've never been a band that has shied away and tried to keep ourselves like a mystery for people. Right. We've always tried to be very flesh and blood, and I feel that's the reason why we've had like such a long career, is because people know that at our shows, we're not going to be hiding somewhere until we go on stage. We'll just be chilling, watching the other bands and like hanging out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when people come up like, oh my God, like, what are you doing out here? It's like, dude, it's, I can't hang out on the show. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and we've we become really flesh and blood with people, and I think that part of that is... You know, because of that, we've had, like, such a, like, such a, I think, a unique career. Right. You know, I feel we've had that, a very strong, you know, personal relationship with the people that have supported us. Now, that's also led to the, to the, some people thinking that they don't need to support us because they're friends with us, kind of. Okay. Or maybe they've talked to us, like, five times in a row when we've gone there. So the sixth time we go there, they don't go to the show. like, oh, I couldn't make it, but, like, cool, guys.
2: Right, right. But oh, they still, but
1: they still like contact us like all the time. You know what I mean? Right. It's almost like they become. They've like they've overinvested. They need to pull back. Exactly.
2: Okay, that's so. interesting.
1: I never, I've never heard of that trend. I of think thought. that's, ha- I think that's happened quite a bit with a lot of bands. That's true. You yeah, know?
2: because you because the the there's definitely an argument, especially in this day and age of touring, where it's like scarcity is a good thing. If you're not going through Birmingham, Alabama for the third time this year, that's probably a good thing. You yes. know. And, like, the, yeah. there, there is that element of, like, oh, we, we're going to see Ron in this city every time, yeah. and this time when he's gone, you feel like you're like, what's happening?
1: Dude, it's like a piece of you is missing. Right. You meet yeah. people that are like, Bleeding Through is the reason why I fucking... Right, I exist, yeah, yeah. Oh. Right. You know, I was in Afghanistan, I was blowing shit up listening to Bleeding Through, and I came home, and I fucked my wife for Bleeding Through, and we have a kid now, <laughs> and fucking... You know, you guys right. the you most extreme damn thing. The most about extreme yeah. fucking story, about how they're, your band, and like... <laughs> you know played a role in their life and then all of a sudden you don't see them at the shows anymore like but like, fuck man like what do we do right right <laughs> and it's just because i feel like they feel like they overinvested yeah in the yeah world. no
2: that's really interesting i'm glad i'm, I'm glad that, that that we hit on that topic um, there's two last things the one like going back to you know your the the intensity of using an individual i always really um, like i remember when there was weirdness between us there yeah. was a tension between us and it was uh it, at, at i am the most non confrontational person i am like a complete I wouldn't even say passive aggressive, probably at the time I was more passive aggressive yeah. than like now I'm recognizing it. But I remember like when we sat down in Denver, Colorado, yeah. where you, you're like, right, let's talk. And well, we I just had down. my surgery like a couple of days before too on my to- face. Totally. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that whole thing. I, I and it was funny because when we got on that tour, I didn't even expect that you guys were ever going to join up again. It was like we had two weeks before, uh, Health fest or whatever. And you guys were going to be completely, you know, you guys weren't going to take a part of that. Yeah. And so then I remember, yeah, I, it was honestly, legitimately one of the only times I've like had that sort of like sit down moment with a person where it's like, okay, let's talk about our problems, yeah, like outside the context of like a family member, for sure. And it was one of those things where it's like I walked away from it being like, I felt good about like putting it out on the table, for sure. And it it was one of those things where I'm sure you did you've done that with other people and they've gone the opposite direction, where it's oh, just absolutely. Like,
1: see the, well the thing is it. is like I always I always looked at like our Orange County like community and our scene as like a family yeah. you know what I mean yeah yeah it was always weirdness I mean I used to have weirdness with Alex from Atreyu sure
2: oh yeah you know? <laughs> yeah yeah of course and
1: you know that got squashed because we showed up in Europe once and we're like well, who are we playing these shows with Atreyu are you fucking kidding <laughs> like I was yeah, like yeah. are you wait you're joking right, right? you're like so kind of got you know forced we're in fucking right? Chemnitz Germany Leading through in a tray you yeah. show up at the same venue and we both just like looked at each other and were like, Oh Well, let's talk. Yeah, let's have you a pe- right, let's have P let's, let's hang out really quick. So I mean, yeah, it was
2: <laughs> But I'm sure I am sure like I said it went the opposite direction where people reacted negatively to you being kind of that sort of like Again, I kinda wanna take control of the situation. Yeah, for like sure. Not in and not in like a alpha male way, but yeah. like in a I, I feel like this needs to be established we
1: kind of had this we had this weird mindset for a few years and I think that's when we had like issues with like certain bands yeah where we bleeding through had this like mentality where we were just like we were like I said like the way that I kept things were so like military like yeah, yeah, yeah. we almost were just like so like not give a shit about sure. stuff. And if we had issues with people, we would just like talk them, about yeah. this, do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah You know, yeah. know what I mean? And we just, we were like that for a couple couple years. And looking back on it, we were like, okay, well, we were young.
2: Yeah, well, you of know. course. Yeah, you can totally chalk that up to yeah, like the
1: youthful sure. exuberance. And everything, every day was a new experience. And it it's really hard for like these fucking bands to go on the road and have like these new experiences. I remember like every day I'd get a call from somebody or hear this from somebody. If something new that happening of like a step in like a different, of like, a bigger direction for everybody. Uh huh. I think that's kind of just like it doesn't happen anymore.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because the, now the ceiling has been moved so high, to where it's like, you, yeah, of course you can legitimately start a band, and oh, of course you could play like you know yeah. the Irvine Meadows amphitheater, or exactly. whatever, or, or across the country. Right. The last thing I want to hit on was like in regards to the gym. There, um, there's obviously the a connotation in regards to you know working out, CrossFit, like the whole you know, uh, testosterone, alpha male, like that whole, the, the perception of that, For sure. um, is it, is it one of those things that you are concerned about that? Cause obviously the way that that rise above is, is marketed, um, is obviously is aggressive by nature just because that's yeah. kind of, you know, that's the culture that you want to create. Is it, are you worried about that either turning off some people or being like, Well, no, if that is turning off those people, they know that they kinda shouldn't come here. And not being in a disrespectful yeah, way, no, but no,
1: I've heard this I've heard that as well as far as like people saying that like maybe um, the image here and sort of like the new way of like the new gym culture, right. like I like to call it. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. more gritty gyms like this, um, with the with the explosion of CrossFit. It's more just like more raw. Yeah. I think it turns people off, but I've actually sort of felt like it also makes... How am I going to say this without sounding like a complete fucking...
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can explore this together. Um,
1: I think what... Okay, because I'm not a CrossFit gym, but there's a lot of CrossFit gyms. Tons. But to me, CrossFit are like filled with people that used to make fun of me because I used to work out so much, but now they got into it because it was more of like a a cultural cult, yeah, like a a scene, yeah. you know, type of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the guys that used to try to fight me in high school for being straight edge and then all of a sudden a couple years later where, like when straight edge was more acceptable, uh-huh. they were straight edge going to shows. Right. Sort right. of thing. That's kind of what I liken it to and it's Okay. And I, but I sort of think that so I mean that's not a way. I'm not bashing it. Yeah. Not yeah, bashing yeah. CrossFit, whatever. Right. But what I'm thinking is that, yes, this is intense. And, and and I think that the whole fitness industry has just gotten more and more and more intense. Right. I don't necessarily think it, it might scare some people. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things where you're just like, it's like Fight Club. It's like... You're kind of curious. I kind of want to get into this. Right. You right. know what I mean? Like totally. I kind of want to feel... I want to pull like my inner badass out and fucking try to get into this. Right,
2: right, right. And right. what
1: I've found is like... You know, a mom will come in here. Right. 43, let's say say hypothetical. Of course. 43-year-old mom has a 12-year-old, a 7-year-old, and, and a fucking 5-year-old. Yeah. Okay. They walk in here, and at first, when I was new to this kind of scene in this gym, I was kind of nervous. Like, am I going to walk her through to go see the gym? She's like, I don't really like yeah, this. Yeah, right. But now, it's like, I see that person, I'm like, she's going to find a place in this. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I walk her through and I'd be like, this is the gym. It's pretty gritty. But, you know, we get after it. And, like, you right. get great workouts. Everybody's really supportive. And you see that person go from, like, hold, gripping onto their purse in front of their chest. Yeah, like, yeah, I yeah, I don't know. To be like, all right, cool. I can see, yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't think it really – it might be, on, a, on like, at first glance very intimidating for people. But I kind of feel like everybody kind of wants – Sure. Everybody kind of wants to say they train at a place like this, right? Yeah, you know there's I mean? there's a,
2: yeah there's an element there's an element of curiosity, and if a person is willing to explore that, yeah, and want to challenge themselves, then yeah. like that's why and it's the, there.
1: And for me, it's like the people that aren't into it, the people right. that want to go to Equinox, like, and spend like a ton of money on just like really fancy equipment and yeah, feel like a very sterile environment. Then that's fine. You're just not our demographic. So right, it's basically like it's kind of like punk rock versus like
2: yeah. A pop band like, or
1: whatever, like top forty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just gonna. Right. It just is what it is. We so. we
2: know we know who we're going to kind of appeal to yeah. immediately, and then hopefully we'll bring it, bring other people as they go. It's yeah, the same thing as building yeah. bands.
1: And that's it. You know what's funny is I talk about it all the time. The, yeah. the, the parallels between music and fitness. It's like the industries are so similar. Yeah. And if you could dive into that whole like issue, the whole thing of like of the two and how they're so eerily similar as sure. far as like, the scene and mentality-wise and right. wanting to fit into this, the way that people market themselves. Like, the whole influx of, like, you know, the explosion of, like, Instagram and everybody on Instagram thinks they're a fucking trainer and thinks that right. like they have because because they could pose half-naked and have, like, 200,000 followers that should be, they should be giving fitness advice and, like, people are like, oh, my God, you're my hero because I see your ass crack on the internet. Of course. It's kind of the same as, like, when I heard about Job for a Cowboy because of how many followers they had on MySpace. Right, same thing. Right. So they need, they need to like, there's, there's an
2: air of legitimacy that needs to be in place before.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: <laughs> before something else actually happens. Yeah.
1: So, <laughs> you know, and what's going to happen with the, with the fitness industry was the same was what's happening in the music industry. It's going to get completely oversaturated. Of course. You know, the things that have been constant and like legitimate are going to stick around. Yeah, yeah exactly. So
2: well, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I'm glad that we did this. Yeah. <laughs> <know>. okay. <laughs> Thank it. you.
1: I appreciate it.
2: Yeah. All right, there is Brandon. Intense individual, right? This is one of the first interviews where I was, uh, I don't know if I would say intimidated, because Brandon, I've had on my list to interview for a long, long time. Just needed a kind of a time and a place. And because, you know, like I said in the interview, we had history. And I was, uh, we've obviously grown past that because we're grown-ass men. But it was one of those things where I was like, I don't, I, you know, hopefully we're cool. <laughs> and we totally were. And it was great. But uh, yeah, this was one of the few interviews where i carried uh baggage into uh from the perspective of you know having having a previous history with a person that uh i wasn't 100 percent sure was uh, was past us so anyways check out rise above fitness orange county you'll be able to see brandon's endeavors in that regard and uh yeah visit 100 wordspodcastcom visit propertyexact.com
3: our producer show best
2: friend awesome dude all around as always is tom richfield and until next week, which I'm on vacation right now, Woo-hoo. until next week, be safe and urban.